0: Bibles turn to John chapter number 20 John chapter 20 we'll be reading verses 26 through 29 this is the end of the book of John this in my opinion is one of the book ends the first part of John the first book in is and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten praise God that's the first book in And the last book in would be this passage here, John chapter 20, verse number 26. After everything Jesus has done, after the disciples seeing all of his ministry, it comes to a conclusion in which Thomas has a final say as the gospel of John concludes. John chapter 20, verse 26. After eight days, again, his disciples were with him and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed, everyone say blessed, amen, blessed or blessed, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed, and I want to speak to you for a few moments today on developed faith developed faith lord we thank you and praise you today for your word we thank you for your presence that we feel in the house of god today and we thank you for everybody that is here in this place and know that you're a god that is able to touch them touch us direct us encourage us strengthen us praise god in our faith today help it to be a developed faith we give to you thanks in jesus name we pray Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word, a developed faith. I want to say at the beginning, by way of introduction, that Jesus never intends to leave things the way they are. And I'm grateful and thankful for that in the house of God today. He's not intentional about leaving things the way they are. So if conditions are miserable, if conditions are dysfunctional, if conditions are abysmal and, and your life is a wreck, know this. God has no intention of leaving you where you are, but he wants to take you somewhere. Does anybody have that testimony? Because you came to God, maybe with some of those circumstances, and God did a great work in your life. Praise God. He's not. Uh, he never intends to leave things the way that they are. Rather, there is a pursuit of what can be. And that is what is so very, very important in the house of God today. Wherever you are today, I don't care if it's good and great, there is something that God wants to continue to develop in your life. Praise God. Tomorrow is a different day, and God can take you beyond where you are today. Nobody ever arrives, but we're all on a pursuit to become more than what we can be today. So you may feel like you're at the very bottom today. Know this. God wants to develop your faith, and God wants to change something, in your life and God wants to transform some things in your life you may be here in the house of God today and you say I- I've grown in God I'm not where I once was I'm not in that dysfunctional wrecked place and God has done great things in my life and I'm thankful for that but you should be saying today God I want you to open up another plane of existence in walking with you I want you to develop in me something that is greater than where I am today does anybody have that pursuit today inspiration today, passion today. Whatever you did yesterday, I'm thankful for, but I know that you're a God today and you're a God of tomorrow. And so I'm seeking after that and I'm searching after that and I'm expecting great things because that's the way God works. That's the way that he works. We're putting our faith in a person. We're putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus always wants to move us forward. We're not putting our faith in faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And so my faith is not in something that that I'm hoping for, but it's grounded in an object. Jesus is in the business of doing the miraculous. Praise God. And that's why we're in the house of God today. A key developing component of faith is you got to trust God wherever you are today. That God knows where you are and he is intentional about moving you forward. I thank God in the house of God today. Individuals have stepped into this place and they have said, you know what? I'm here in the house of God. I don't have all my stuff together. I don't know. Sometimes I don't know which end is up, but I know this. I'm going to trust in God. Praise God. I'm going to trust in him. He's doing a work in my life. He's developing some things in my life. Praise God. I'll even preach to the people here today that you don't even think that you're at the place of of even helping anybody. I want to help you today. Praise God. Forget what is behind you and move forward and say, God, I'm trusting in you for tomorrow. (laughs) Hallelujah. Don't stay in your failure. Get up and walk in faith. Get up and walk in hope. (laughs) Praise God. And so a key element of developing faith is to put your confidence in Jesus. And so there are some developments that take place in the book of John. Jesus does not do as many miracles in the book of John as he does in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's only eight or nine specific miracles that that John brings out to showcase Jesus' ability, his power, and really to say The other uh, synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're wanting to say that the kingdom has come. And in John, John is wanting to say Jesus has come. And so he picks eight or nine miracles to say Jesus has come. Amen. He is the word that is manifested in the flesh. And so there's some very, very clear elements here. The first thing that takes place in the development of faith is There is a miracle. Jesus is manifesting his glory, and so there is a miracle. And and there is not much of a a mark and secret or a messianic secret in John as there are in the synoptics, but they kind of go together. Jesus will do a miracle, and it is to showcase his glory. And in the synoptics, he would do a miracle, and then he would say, don't tell anybody. He would tell a blind man, don't go tell anybody. And, of course, they would go out, and they would spread the word. The reason why Jesus was, was softening the miracle is because he wanted people to know that the miracle is not the end point. It's a manifestation of his glory. It needs to take place so that people can understand, hey, something different is happening here. Amen. Has God ever done a miracle in your life? Praise God. Well, that, the miraculous says something is happening here. But God never intends you to walk away just with your miracle and it stops there. Praise God. God intends for there to be a development. You see his glory, you see his power, you see his ability, but you just don't walk away from that. But you develop that faith in Jesus. And so the miracle is important. It has to be there. It's a significant thing. It's to manifest His glory. And John even right up front tells us that in chapter 2 and verse number 11. He said, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth His glory and His disciples believed on Him. So the miracle was important to manifest His glory. That's the first level of a developing faith. The second part of that is it is to clue people in to His identity. This is the word that is made flesh. Not only that, this is the Logos, this is the statement, this is the plan of God and not only that, this is the I Am that spoke from a burning bush to Moses. The God, Yahweh, that spoke to Moses from a burning bush is now encapsulated in Jesus because his identity is God manifested in the flesh. This is why in John, Jesus says, verily, verily, or amen, amen, or true truly because there is authority that is connected to it he's not just a teacher he is God manifested in the flesh Philip said show us the father and we'll be happy and Jesus said if you've seen me you've seen the father I've been with you when you look at me you're seeing the father Thomas in our verse said my Lord and my God it's an identity this is not a teacher this is God himself manifested in the flesh declared his glory and directing people he is the I am praise God he is Jesus he is the word that is manifested in flesh so the miracle is important but the next level of a developing faith is okay I know who's doing the miracle praise God how sad would it be for somebody to receive a blessing of a miracle and walk away and not know who Jesus is That would be a travesty and a tragedy. You know what is also a tragedy? People that come and experience the presence of God and the power of God, and they're happy with that, and they walk away with that. God never intended for us just to come to the house of God and said, man, I felt the moving of the Holy Ghost today, and that's it. No, God wants to take us beyond just what we feel to understand who it is that is directing that power. Praise God, it's Jesus that's directing that power. In his name, there is power. In his name, there is healing. In his name, there is redemption. In his name, there is salvation. Clap your hands and thank the Lord if you know the God of the house, not just the moving of his spirit, but I know who he is. Praise God, and I feel him in the house of God. So the miracle was important, and it led to an identity of Jesus. Now the next level of that is It's not enough just to experience the miracle of God. It's not enough to know who he is. But there is also a mission. There's some action. There's some doing that he intends for us. This moves us into the level of discipleship. Thank God that God healed me and revealed his glory. Thank God I know who he is, but now what? What am I supposed to do now? With with what I've seen and what I know, I've got to put it into action. I've got to take responsibility, and I've got to be what God wants me to be, and I've got to do what God wants me to do, and both of those are, are two significant things. you got to be what God wants you to be by starting from the inside, and when it starts working on the inside, it comes out in the action on the outside, and so you're being and you're doing because of the miracle, because who you know, no, now you're involved in the mission of God, of doing the work of God. Every single one of us in this place here today should be and we should be doing the work of God and the mission of God. We should be growing as disciples in Jesus. Amen. Praise God. There's a work to do. Turn to your neighbor and tell them there's a work that needs to be done. Praise God. Your work may be different than my work, but all of us involved in the kingdom of God should be doing something for the kingdom of God. We should be doing something. Praise God. So there is a miracle that reveals his glory. There's an identity of who Jesus is. Then there is a mission. Now, the last thing in this development of faith is an expanding faith centered in the reality of who Jesus is. It's a hallmark of future disciples. They say, I want to grow in this, this work that I'm doing, and and, and the being of who I need to be, and the doing of what I need to do. I want to expand it. I want to grow it. Never will you find, (laughs) never will you, let's see if this works. Never will you find a church that's interested on not having revival. You only find an early experience in a church that's wanting revival. It's an expanding faith. Praise God. A development of faith is what I said in the very early parts of this this message and introduction. Wherever you are now, let your faith expand and grow. Okay, right here is where I am. I'm I'm taking inventory of everything. I'm looking at all the priorities. Wherever I am right here, I want to expand my faith and see God grow and develop my faith. You say, well, I may not have a whole lot here. There's not a whole lot to work with. There's not many pieces here to the picture." Sure of the puzzle, but that doesn't matter. I'm going to I'm going to have a faith that is expansive that develops into believing that God is able to do more with where I am right now. That is a hallmark of a revival church that says we're not satisfied with what we have now. We believe that God has people in this city that want a new birth experience, and so we're always pushing for more. If we're not pushing forward, we're going backwards. Praise God, I say we're going backwards. If we're not having revival, we're going backwards. You know why churches are drying up and nobody's coming to church anymore? Because they're going backwards. A New Testament church that is a revival church does not go backwards, but it moves forwards because there are people that are saying, my faith is expanding. My confidence is expanding. My hope is expanding. The Holy Ghost is moving. Praise God. Yeah, it's working. It's working. Let the Holy Ghost move forward in your life. Praise God. So take whatever pieces you've got and you say, God, okay, you've done miraculous things because I'm here. Praise God. That's a miracle that you're here in the house of God. You could be other places here today. Who knows even how you got here? The way you got here is a miracle. And the reason why that miracle is taking place is because Jesus is drawing you. And when Jesus is drawing you, he wants to put you to work in the kingdom of God. And when he puts you to work in the kingdom of God, he wants it to expand and to grow and to flourish. God! the devil wants to destroy steal, rob and assassinate your faith but I'm preaching today in the house of God, Jesus wants to build you up, transform you form you, make you something in the kingdom of God kick off that intimidation kick off that failure and say God, I'm a child of God and today's a good day and tomorrow's going to be a better day Hallelujah. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. I know there's somebody in this place. You're sitting on a church pew and you're wondering, how can I ever do what I need to do? You can't do it on your own, but with Jesus you can. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you, Lord. And so that is a, a development of faith in the book of John. Basically in every single miracle that takes place, there's eight, I think there are eight or nine, the first one was Cain of Galilee, and so John, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't fill the book full of miracles. He just takes specific ones, and every single element that I just mentioned to you is there. It's a miracle. It's any the identity of who did the miracle. They're always saying, who did this? <laughs> who healed you? How did this happen? All right? It's the identity, it's Jesus, that's who it is. And so John wants to say that. And then beyond that, it's a mission because the disciples are supposed to pick this up and they're supposed to do the work of God. And then it's supposed to expand beyond Jesus himself to disciples of Jesus. The original disciples saw Jesus, were with Jesus. Thomas came to a a statement of faith because Jesus said, put your hands in Put your fingers in my wounds and see who I I am. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, blessed are you because you've seen me. But the expanding faith is, blessed are those that are not going to have the ability to see me, but they still carry out their faith. And they're still doing the work of God. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's you and me. I haven't had the experience of walking with Jesus, but I felt him this morning. I felt his spirit and his anointing in the house of God this morning. Praise God. So there are two case studies that I want to present to you this morning. The paralyzed man and the blind man. Jesus sees both of them. This is not arbitrary seeing. Like when John says Jesus sees something, he's not just like seeing somebody on the street. He's seeing into the situation deeper than anybody has the ability to see because he is God manifested in the flesh. And he knows things that the naked eye and the human eye cannot see he knows those things so he knows where you are so wherever you are today God knows where you are whatever whatever questions you've got God knows the questions and he's got the answers for you because he sees that so when John says Jesus sees somebody it means more than just casually looking at them but he's looking into the very core of who they are and their life and their circumstances and and there's going to be a stronger connection And the first man that he sees uh, that I want to present to you is the paralyzed man. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. We're not going to read all of that, but I'll, I'll just give you some details here this morning. There was a pool by the Sheep Gate. It was called the Pool of Bethesda. I've had the opportunity on two occasions. It's still there. You can actually walk down to the Pool of Bethesda. It was like terraced pools, and there were seven of them. And so you walk down kind of in a circular pattern to the pool that's at the bottom and there's seven pools at the Sheep Gate. It was a, a, a therapeutic place. Uh, there's a lot of, of uh, theological discussions about what exactly happened at this pool, some, some on a less... Uh, Sensational components say it was just it was therapeutic waters and people would gather there because there were hot springs and people would gather there But the scripture said that the angel would come down and trouble the waters And then if a person was able to get into the pool while the waters were troubled, then they would be healed And so this paralyzed man was coming to this pool by the sheep gate and he was trying to get into the pool And so jesus comes upon this This circumstance where all these people are gathered together and he sees this man. He sees the man and the man has been there. The man has been with a condition for 38 years. His situation is hopeless and he's so he's coming to this pool. This therapy pool, the waters that are troubled pool, the angel that touches the pool, there's there's something spectacular that happens. If you can get into the water when the waters are troubled and everybody's waiting on that, then your healing could take place. And so this man for 38 years with this condition, he's paralyzed and he is waiting at the pool of Bethesda. He's trying to get into the pool and Jesus sees him and Jesus comes up to him and sees him. Now, this is what's really, really cool because sometimes our attention is focusing on the pool and what we see out there is the miracle and our attention is not focused on the one that brings the miracle, which is Jesus, the identity of who he is. And so Jesus sees the paralyzed man and he asks the paralyzed man a question. He says to him, "Wilt thou be made whole or do you want to be healed? So he sees the man, he walks up and he says, do you want to be healed? And the man comes out with a lot of excuses. He says, well, I I have no one to help me. There's nobody here to help me. I'm paralyzed, so nobody can get me to the water, and so that's a problem. And then he said, I'm not fast enough because everybody else gets into the water before I can get into the water. So I can't get there because nobody's there to help me, and then I'm not fast enough get into the water and so nothing ever happens but ladies and gentlemen that is not what Jesus asked him Jesus asked him do you want to be made whole do you want to be healed and this man gave him a bunch of excuses on why he couldn't be healed or couldn't be made whole and Jesus asked him the question do you want to be healed that's so much like us we've got so many excuses why things can't work it's all wrong it won't happen when Jesus is just wanting to know from us do you have enough faith to believe that I can work in your situation I'm not asking you for your excuses I'm asking you do you want to be healed I'm asking you do you want to be saved well would, but I've got this and I've got this in my past and that in my past. Difficulties in my past and failures in my past. Jesus is not interested in your failures. He's interested in whether or not you want to be saved or redeemed from where you are. you got to kick the excuses behind you and say, I know who you are. You are Jesus, God manifested in the flesh. And what looks like an impossibility with you is possible. It's possible. It's possible. God. So I'm going to trust in you. Well, Jesus healed the man. John chapter 5 and verse 9. Immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. And this was a, this was a big deal here because, again, there's going to be confrontations. And the confrontations are the religious Jews and leaders that are watching Jesus and what he's doing. And he heals a man on the Sabbath and he says, take up your bed and walk. Well, I need to say something about that here in a minute, but I kind of like this idea. Jesus is, the man has been 38 years, he's been confined to a a bed, right? He's paralyzed. Jesus heals him and then tells him, take up your bed and walk. Isn't that like Jesus? Jesus. The things that we are restricted by or laying in and on. Jesus, when the Holy Ghost comes, says, take that thing up and, and, and go your way with it. In other words, you have power over what has restricted and confined you. When the Holy Ghost comes, it dictated to you, but now when the Holy Ghost comes, the Holy Ghost gives you power and the ability to pick up your bed and walk with that thing out of the pool of Bethesda because I'm a God that is able to bring healing to you. That's how the Holy Ghost works. Praise God. It gives you the power and the ability. Well, the Mishnahic tractate on the Sabbath, the Jewish understanding of the law is you could not carry objects from one domain to another. This was expressly forbidden on the Sabbath. It was not lawful to carry a bed. And Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. So there's a miracle. It manifests his glory. And then there is Jesus that comes into the picture. And there's people that say, wait a minute. That's against the Sabbath laws. Who are you? And what they fail to recognize is the identity of the God that gave them the Sabbath in the first place. He's God manifested in the flesh. He has greater power than any law that is there, any ritual that is there, any tradition that is there, because he's the one that gave it. So they're basically saying, who are you? And all through John, Jesus is always saying, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Who am I? I'm the I am that spoke to Moses from a burning bush that has created all things. And so in John chapter 5 and verse number 12, they ask the man, has got his bed, he's, he's, he's walking out. He's healed. I mean, I, I just, just in my mind, something is, 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 is so wrong with this picture. If the man was there for 38 years and it was known that he was paralyzed for 38 years, and you see that guy pick up his bed, he's walking out of there, okay? I don't think I would be saying, wait a minute, that's against the Sabbath. I would be saying, can you believe this guy's walking out of here with his bed? He's been here 38 years. But it's just so like the enemy to hone in and focus on stuff like that. And so that's, they're, they're focused on that. And so they ask this man, what man is that which said unto you, take up thy bed and walk? John chapter 5 and verse number 12. And he that was healed wist not who it was, For Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. He didn't know who it was. He didn't have the opportunity to find out the identity. And then there's this real cryptic statement that sounds to me like a stunted faith. It's not taking ownership of faith. Afterward, Jesus finds him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. So based on what Jesus is saying, it, it sounds like his condition was connected to a particular behavior in his life or a sin. Now, that's not always the case because the disciples, a tower of Salome falls on a man and kills him. And the disciples say to Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. The tower fell. <laughs> the tower fell on him. There's a lot of things that happen in life that have no connection to the, other than the fact that it's just life. We live in a fragile world, a fallen world. There's all kinds of, of things that can happen, right? So that's not always the case. But in this case, Jesus said, take up your bed, walk, you're healed, you're whole. Now, he said here, don't go and sin anymore, lest something greater befall you. So. That's kind of a cryptic statement, and then what the man does after that is also troubling because in verse number 15, the man departs, and he tells the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. There doesn't seem to be a real ownership, a standing up, a defending an identifying, a movement toward action. It appears like this man is content with the cure without being conscience of much deeper lostness as a sinner before God. A worse thing than being a paralytic is being a sinner. And this man seems to represent someone that has received God's mercy, grace, healing, and yet he reports back to the Jews. He's like staying in this old world, and he refused to confront the realm of unbelief and stunted faith. I want to tell you today, you, you can't afford to stay in a stunted faith that is comfortable with with old dynamics in your life and an old structure in your life. You're going to have to get away from the pool of Bethesda and go to a wider world that is around you that says you've been coming here for, for many, many years, but God wants to take you to greater places, involve you in greater things, and do a work of God in your life that is beyond this old habit and this old structure and this old place. That is what repentance is. When you repent, you walk away from some stuff and you say, that's in my past. I'm not going back to that again. That is the weak and beggarly elements of the world. God is developing some new things in my life and I'm not going back to that. I'm moving forward. So well, I really don't see that. Well, let me give you the, the next case and, and you'll see the, the difference there. The difference there because there's another man, he's a blind man in John chapter 9 and Jesus passed by and saw, he sees a man that was born blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he's been born blind? And Jesus said, neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents. But the works of God should be manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh, when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am I am the light of the world. So this gives you an idea of, of some of the, the, it's called a theodicy of the disciples, the study of evil. They're associating evil, if, if something bad has happened, then it's directly connected to sin. And Jesus negates it here, the pool, the tower of Salome falls, kills somebody, it wasn't because anybody sinned. Here they see a blind man, and they say, who, who, who sinned? Was it his parents or was it him? And Jesus said, neither. But I'm going to do a miracle, <laughs> praise God, and I'm going to show forth my glory. And so he spits, he spits on the ground, and he stirs up a mud ball, and he puts this in this man's eye. And, again, he is, he, is, he is working on the Sabbath. You cannot knead dough. It's forbidden on the Sabbath. And so it's a funny way of doing it, but he's spitting and he's working. And he's putting it on this guy's eye, this blind man's eye, and he said, I want you to go to the pool of Siloam and I want you to wash this, this, the spit and the mud off of your face. Now, this, this is a rabbit trail, okay, this is, this, this is going off, this is going off, but isn't it significant that Jesus spits of all things and puts a bunch of mud and puts it on somebody's eye? You know what a lot of us as humanity would do? I'm not doing anything if somebody's going to spit and put mud on my eye. If anybody asks us to do anything that is outside of what we want or don't want done, we get offended about it. And so credit to the blind man because he didn't just say, what in the world are you doing? Who are you? This is insanity. He, he says, okay, I'm not I mean, I'm blind anyway, so I might as well give this a shot, right? (laughs) And so he goes to the pool of Siloam and he washes off the mud and he comes back seeing. Praise God. There's a miracle. There is a glory that is manifested. And here's what's cool about it. The miracle is to manifest what? The glory of God. And then it's connected to the identity. Who's the identity? Jesus well, who has the ability to give a blind man his sight back? Jesus has the ability to do that. Praise God. Amen. And so now there is the next step is action and doing. So here's this man, the first man, the paralyzed man, never seems to get into the action and doing other, to, other than to tell the Jews it was Jesus that healed me. That's about all we get. And yet, this man that is blind, and he comes back seeing, his neighbors see this, and they said, wait a minute, this is a guy that's sitting and begging, and others said, no, it's not like him, it looks like him, but the man said, no, it's me, it's me, I'm the one that was sitting and begging, he spit on the ground, made a bud ball, put it in my eye, went to the pool, washed it off, I see, it's me. So this caused some consternation, and so they said, how were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and I washed and I received sight. And they said unto him, Where is he? And he said, I I don't know. I don't know where he is. So the neighbors are incredulous. And the Pharisees come confronting and then they become divided because of what the man starts to take ownership of his faith. He's going to move not just in the miracle and the identity, it was Jesus, but now he's going to step into the realm of being and doing. He's going to put it into action. And so the Jews come together. Chapter 9 and verse 16. And they said, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. So then they bring the blind man, and they said to him, What sayest thou of him that he opened thine eyes? What do you say? They asked the blind man. What? what do you say? Well, the blind man is growing in his faith. He doesn't have a complete recognition of what has transpired. He knows that, it, that it's Jesus, and he knows that he was blind, but now he sees. And so when they asked him the question, he said, He is a prophet. He's developing, he's recognizing the power of Jesus. And he's not going to back down from it because I was blind and now I see. So he's not backing down from it. So then he is marginalized and he is ignored because now the Pharisees, they didn't believe him. They didn't believe that he was born blind. They didn't believe that he received his sight. So they called his parents. And they said to his parents, is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? And his parents answered and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but by what means he now seeth, we know not, or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man confessed that he was Jesus, he would be put out of the synagogue. So his parents, his parents, they're fearful. They don't want to be thrust out of the synagogue, which is the worship center. They don't want to be thrust out of the church. And so they put it back off on the blind man. And his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So they called the man that was blind and they said, give God praise. We know that this man is a sinner. This is very familiar of the Old Testament Achan's story coming out of Jericho when he takes Babylonish garments and some gold and he puts in his tent and the children of Israel are defeated and Joshua recognizes there's a problem and so he has people come before him and when they come before him he said give God praise well everybody that's, that's right they can give God praise but when there's something that is wrong Achan can't give God praise because he knows he's got stuff in his life and so then he confesses and so now they're going to take that Old Testament that Old Testament uh, strategy, and they're gonna put it on the blind man. Give God praise. We know that this man is a sinner. And here's what the blind man says Verse number 25 whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know that whereas I was blind, now I, I see. You wanna call him as I called him a prophet, you're saying he's a sinner. I don't know. But I know this, I was blind, but now I see, and you're not going to take that testimony from me. <laughs> you, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to have some convictions, because God did a great thing in my life, and so no matter who comes my way and tries to take that away from me, you can't take it away from me, because I've got a testimony. I was blind, but now I see. I was in sin, I was sick, I was in the miry clay, but he picked me up, he established me, he gave me to me a hope, I'm not backing away from it. I've got a developed faith that sees the miracle, that sees Jesus, and sees the action of doing what he wants me to do. Praise God. Amen. So, (laughs) he's he's taking ownership of what God is doing in his life. He's moving from a defensive posture, and he's going to move into a Offensive posture. They said again unto him, What did he do to thee? How opened he thine eyes? Watch what he says. Verse 27 of chapter 9. He answered them, I have told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore, would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? (laughs) Now he's talking about discipleship, see? He's got the miracle, he knows now, okay, he's, he's, a, he's a prophet, he's Jesus, he's a, and, and now he's confronted, but now he's taking ownership and he's saying, do you want to be his disciple? He's already thinking discipleship. He's already thinking, I'm going to follow after Jesus. And so he turns that back on them. You're asking a lot of questions. Do you want to be his disciple? They reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, He is not going to back down, he is going to take ownership, he's going to put it into action, and he's going to make a statement, even if he knows it may get him thrown out of the synagogue, he's not fearful like his parents, this is what he says to them. Why, herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. All of a sudden now, he's taking action. He's preaching to the people that are are trying to shut him down. He is saying, I got a testimony. All of a sudden, he's going into theology about a person that's a sinner, could not do what this Jesus is doing. He's telling them, you're off track. You're going down the wrong direction. You're going the wrong way. Throw me out if you want to, but I'm going to follow after Jesus. Kick me out of." the synagogue. Go ahead, but I'm following after Jesus. (laughs) They said, you were born in sins and you're teaching us and they cast them out. Now watch. Now watch. This is so cool. Jesus, when he goes back around to the paralyzed man, he finds him. He tells him something about his sin, and stop doing that because a greater thing may befall you. This man, who is taking ownership for his faith, Jesus circles back around to him in verse number 35. When Jesus heard that he had been cast out, he found him, and he said, Do you believe on the Son of God? And this man answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And the blind man said Lord I believe and he worshiped him he seized the mission of God and now he's going to put it into action John chapter 9 and verse 39 Jesus said for judgment I am come into this world that they which see not might see and they which see might be made blind Pharisees should know more than anybody what they're seeing, but they can't see it because they're blind. A man that can't see all of a sudden sees an illumination and a light that comes in the form of Jesus Christ. And there is a developed faith in his life as the musicians come in the house of God this morning. The dangerous choice of faith is avoided by some and accepted with all risk by others. The paralyzed man seems to avoid this trajectory of getting involved and taking ownership and standing up for his faith. But the blind man, no matter what the risk was, his parents didn't want to take the risk, but he took the risk because he recognized how God had done great things in his life. Praise God. I'm preaching to you in the house of God today. Accept the risks. The risk may be your family will say to you, you've lost your mind. They don't care a thing about you until you get into the house of God and God starts doing great things in your life. And then they all become theologians and tell you you're involved with a cult and all this kind of stuff. They didn't care that you were strung out, drugged out, out of your mind, addicted. They didn't matter at all. But when you start coming to the house of God and God does great things in your life all of a sudden there are risks associated with that i tell you this family's important but Jesus is more important than family take the risk take ownership of faith and say I'm going to establish my family here I'm going to establish my life in faith I'm going to sow the seeds I'm going to water the seeds I'm going to watch, it. watch a crop flourish from it God. I'm going to take the risk in both miracles Jesus was pointing out spiritual paralysis, the inability to act, and blindness, the inability to see. And God was calling us out of both. Come out of a paralyzed world. Come out of a blind world. Come out of an isolated, marginalized, captivated by the world's definitions, an effort to stunt the will of God by wrong actions, confused, apathetic, acquiescing to the pressure of the world, hollowed out and confused, willing to be content without commitment, paralyzed by fear, immobilized by indecision, scandalized by the accuser, criticized by hell, stuck in an old paradigm. Jesus is saying, I've come to call you out of that and I'm going to bring healing to you and show you my glory. Praise God, as we stand together in the house of God, I want to show you who I am and I want to put you to work in the kingdom of God and I want to see an expansive faith. Praise God, a developed faith. Praise God, has God ever done a miracle in your life? Has he ever manifested his glory for you? Yes. Do you know who He is? He's the Word made flesh. He is the I am. Thomas, He's my Lord and my God. I know who He is. Are you involved in the mission of God? The action of being and doing. I'm called to be and I'm called to do. And do you have an expanding faith that's centered in Jesus and it expands to believe that God is able to do things beyond what others may say is an impossibility Thomas says in verse number 28 my Lord and my God Jesus saith unto him Thomas because thou hast seen me thou hast believed blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed praise God I want to say today that it's our responsibility to take ownership of revival Praise God. Ownership of thriving. Ownership of growing. Ownership of building. Ownership of discipling. Ownership of encouraging. Ownership of building up. Ownership of baptizing. Ownership of preaching. Ownership of teaching. Ownership of worship. Praise God as we lift our hands together in the house of God today. I want to have a developed faith. I love you, Lord, and praise you. I thank you for the miracle. I thank you that I know who you are. I thank you for the ability to put my hand to the plow and do the work of the kingdom. And I'm expecting, I'm expecting greater things. Praise God. Praise God. Come on, lift up your hands and why don't you pray that prayer together. I will be what you call